Proverbs 910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. If you were with us last time when we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, you may have wondered why we didn't talk about the fact that one of the things he does is convict us of our sin. We're going to deal with that today as well as talk about the guilt and shame that comes with sin and where we can find hope and where hope is not found. Chris, I think the place to start with this is to say that there's two aspects of guilt. There are guilty feelings and there's actual objective guilt for breaking the commands of God. When it comes to our objective guilt, everyone has broken God's law and therefore all are guilty. It doesn't matter whether we've ever been told God's law, whether we've ever held a Bible in our hands or anything. All men are guilty of breaking God's law. Romans 1 tells us that no one is without excuse because God has revealed himself, his eternal power, and his divine nature in creation. So everyone is without excuse. Exactly. And because every person is an image bearer of God, both believers and non-believers can and do, at least sometimes, feel guilt. Humans have a conscience, a sense of right and wrong. Even non-Christians acknowledge this. But we have to remember what our feelings are telling us or not telling us as the case may be has nothing to do with our standing before God. Having feelings of guilt does nothing to save us and not feeling guilty about something doesn't mean that we're not guilty. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we haven't asked God to forgive our sins and trusted in what Jesus has done for our salvation, we're not Christians and God has not forgiven us. Likewise, in 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Rose, you mentioned our conscience. Can you talk a little bit more about trusting our conscience? Our conscience is not always something we can rely on to tell us right and wrong. It has the basics of the moral law, but our consciences have been affected by the fall like everything else, and they're not 100% reliable and trustworthy when it comes to knowing God's law. Our conscience and what it's telling us must be aligned with God's word. This is what the Holy Spirit does working in us as we read, study, and hear God's word, shaping us and growing us. So as we grow, our conscience will more and more be aligned with God's word and will more and more respond correctly. However, sometimes our conscience can become seared and we can be hardened by sin to the point where we will ignore our conscience and do what we want. The Apostle Paul says that sin can make our consciences totally unreliable and can make us even suppress what we know is true. We can become more and more hardened and actually begin to call evil good and good evil. Sin ruins everything. Yeah, and we certainly see evil being called good and good being called evil now, don't we? Absolutely. Sin can be kind of sneaky. Sometimes we start out doing something that we know isn't right, but at the same time, it doesn't make us feel that bad either. But after a while, even things that didn't seem that bad at the beginning can bring guilt and shame. That's the baggage of sin, and it can get pretty weighty. You're right, Rose. You know, sin often feels okay or even good at first, but after a while, you feel like you can't even move any longer. You're almost paralyzed by sin. The burden of sin and the guilt and shame it can bring is like my neighbor and I who used to walk together every morning. We used to walk our dogs together and then go back out for another round to get some real exercise for ourselves. One day we decided on round two to take some money with us and stop at the Amish produce stand to get a few things because the stand's only about a half mile from the end of the walk. When we got there, I got the bright idea to buy a watermelon. 
not a big one, a small one, one that they could actually fit in one of those plastic grocery bags. But Rose, I have to tell you, by the time we got to the end of their long lane, which was only maybe halfway home, I wanted to ditch that watermelon, <laughs> and we still had at least a quarter of a mile to go. It seemed fine to carry that watermelon at first, and like I said, it wasn't very big. But the further we carried it, because my neighbor was helping me carry it, the heavier it seemed to be, and it felt like we had 10 miles to carry it, not a half a mile. Our sin can be like that. That's a good illustration. That brings up another point we should talk about. Some believers feel plagued with guilty feelings even after they've repented. Sometimes it's like they just can't let it go or like they can't forgive themselves. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin, and often our guilty feelings are how he does it. If a Christian has repented of their sin and turned to Christ, he should not have persistent guilty feelings and condemnation. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12.10. In fact, that verse goes on to say that he accuses them day and night before God. But the Holy Spirit does just the opposite for a believer. Absolutely. If we've repented and believe in Jesus' work for forgiveness, the Holy Spirit gives us hope. He gives us joy and peace, according to Romans 15, 13. At times when we don't feel forgiven and our guilt is getting the best of us, we must believe the words of Scripture. What God promises us in His Word trumps Satan's lies. Don't buy into them. Rose, that's a great point for Christians to remember. But let's move on now and talk about an unbeliever who feels his or her conscience being pricked or who is feeling guilt and shame over the things they've done wrong. Where can they go to have their sense of peace restored? Genesis 2.25 says that Adam and Eve walked naked in the garden and were not ashamed. This is before the fall. Even in front of God. But once they sinned, they felt the need to cover themselves. The moment they sinned, something inside them changed and they felt the need to cover themselves. Everything changed in their relationship at that point. They felt they needed to hide things from each other. The freedom they had of being open with each other and letting it all hang out was long gone. The feelings of guilt and shame caused by their sin, like you said, Chris, ruined it. And when God comes into the picture, they feel something else in addition to guilt and shame. They're terrified. And they try to hide from God. We want to hide our sin in our lives from each other and from God. We can do a pretty good job of hiding it from each other, but God knows everything. And like you said, it terrified Adam and Eve, and it should terrify us. Yeah, and Chris, I think it would be a good time to say that if any of our listeners are feeling the weight of their sin or guilt and they can't get rid of it, we encourage you to pray and ask God for forgiveness right now. Don't wait. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Rose. And as we know, he will forgive. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. People walking around with the weight of unnecessary guilt and shame is exactly why it's so important to get the gospel message right. They need to know they don't have to walk around with that because of what Jesus did on the cross. But you know, Chris, one thing we haven't touched on yet is a question a lot of people have. How do we know that as Christians, we're the ones who get it right when it comes to God? Well, let's talk about that. Let's also answer the question, do all paths lead to heaven? And is someone who says they're believing in God saved? So Rose, why don't we start by talking about other religions? Do all religious paths lead to God? Well, the truth is yes, they do. <laughs> no matter which religious path you take, and even if you don't follow any religion at all, 
one day you're going to stand before the creator. The thing that matters is what will he say to you when you get there? Will he say, come inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world? Or will he say, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We see that in John 14, verse 6. Rose, it doesn't get much clearer than that. Like we've said in previous episodes, asking God for forgiveness and believing and trusting in Jesus' suffering and death on the cross in your place is what satisfies the wrath of God you deserve is the only way to have eternal life in heaven and escape punishment. And it's the only way to really have peace in this life. That's for sure. For those of you who are listening who are already saved by Jesus, we're going to take a few minutes now and talk about our witness. How do we evangelize to people who are really different from us? Those from every tribe and language and people and nation, according to Revelation 5.9. Here are some principles to use in tailoring your witness to unbelievers or from people from other faiths. And these come from Freddie Davis of Market Faith Ministries. Have a clear understanding of biblical doctrine. Focus on biblical teaching about God and the work of Jesus Christ, the plan of salvation, and life after death. Take the initiative and establish a friendly relationship with the person. Listen carefully to see what they believe. Establish the sole authority of the Bible. Define all terms clearly. Focus on basic issues. Don't get sidetracked by specific issues or arguments over specific denominations. Share your testimony of faith in Jesus. Explain carefully the Bible's plan of salvation, which is the gospel, and pray and trust the Holy Spirit to lead you in your witnessing. And one thing I'd add to that is don't say, I believe or in my opinion point to the Bible and say, this is what God says. So it's not our opinion we're trying to witness, it's God's word. That's a great point. Like we said in an earlier episode, what we're taught about salvation is what we rely on for salvation. That's why we don't want to give our own opinion. What we're taught about God or not taught about God will become our foundation of who he is. How well we know and understand the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, and understand its theological and doctrinal truths will affect every aspect of our lives. There are a lot of false gospels out there today. Some are completely devoid of the truth, and others are half-truths, not the complete gospel message. So to end this episode, we're going to briefly mention some of the things being taught today that are not the gospel. The first one is, declaring that Jesus is Lord alone is not the gospel. Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. If you claim him as Lord of your life, you'll want to make sure that he's your savior first. Yeah, another one. We talked about this in episode two, but saying just ask Jesus into your heart is not the gospel. Did you know that this phrase is not anywhere in the Bible? It's confusing. And as we said, it really tells people nothing they need to know to be saved. Getting people to say the sinner's prayer without letting them know why they need a savior is also not the gospel. People need to know that they are sinners and enemies of God who need to trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And here's another one we mentioned before, but our testimony is not the gospel. Testimonies are a wonderful way to share what God has done in your life, and they might be a great tool to lead into sharing the actual gospel, but our testimonies are our experiences and can't save people. The gospel message is what people need to hear so they can respond and be saved. Doing deeds of mercy and justice are not the same as spreading the gospel either. While these good works are important and a great way to forge a relationship with someone, you have to actually use words to tell them the gospel message. The old adage, preach the gospel at all times and use words only when necessary, is a lie. 
Just doing good deeds for someone does not tell them that they are in need of a savior. Yeah, and kind of along that same line, transforming the culture into a moralistic society is not the gospel. Legislating God-honoring laws is a good thing to do, and we certainly hope our Congress does it. Absolutely. But legislation doesn't produce heart change, and morals never saved anyone. Partnering with God to bring the kingdom to earth is not the gospel either. Helping the poor in tangible ways is important, and helping people should be an outworking of the Christian life. But no matter how much good work we do on earth, it's not the same as sharing the gospel, and it will not bring the kingdom here. God does not need us to partner with him to do anything. (laughs) No, he doesn't. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's make sure we do the work of the Great Commission fully by spreading the correct and complete gospel message. For without it, there is no salvation. Thanks for joining us today. If you liked this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to it so that you don't miss an episode. Have a blessed day.